So once the Pac-12 media deal gets finalized, I'm not going to try and guess when that is, they should be, shall we say, chatty with the ACC. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked on Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved conference of champions like comment subscribe please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show five star reviews on apple podcasts love those as well or if you think it's a four star show hey i'll take that too either one it's blue chip rating via 24 7 sports okay so the uh the media rights deal isn't here yet we all know that. We weren't expecting it by now. Would it be this week? Would it be next week? I don't know. You don't know. But let's just say for the sake of circumstance that that deal gets done and it's about, eh, as I've predicted, a five or six year deal with San Diego State and SMU in it to keep the league at 12 teams. The Pac-12 and the ACC, I, I think, should be friends. You could, you could have the Big 12 there as well, but I think the Pac-12 and the ACC should be friends. The reason that I think that, and if you clicked on this video on YouTube, notice the wording that I put on the thumbnail, very specific, right? I didn't say merger. I said partnership. Those would be two different things. So all this talk with the ACC and why they should be friends and why they should have a scheduling partnership and why they should work in conjunction with one another to figure out how they can maximize TV viewership in college football games going forward stems from a question here from Eric Lammerman. And you can always be a question asker, get in the mailbag, get your question answered here on the show, YouTube comments, or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12. We've got not one, not two, not three, but four mailbag questions on this magical Monday show. I absolutely Love it. I would do shows like this one that are just mailbag questions if you send me enough. So by all means, hit me up any time. Eric says, there's really only one thing or one long-term path forward for most of the pack. Some kind of merger with the ACC that creates a third super conference. Agree or disagree? Disagree is my answer here. Being viable is not the same as being in a super conference, but that doesn't mean you have to be part of a super conference or be in one of the big two to be viable. Now, I'm going to talk about this through primarily a football lens here because we all know that's the biggest sport. I see the numbers. I know that that's what all of you care about more than anything. And it's, you know, of course, our favorite sport and it's my favorite sport to watch and talk about that being college football. So I think the big or the Pac-12 and the ACC should do what the Pac-12 tried to do. <laughs> there's this there's this funny piece. It's 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 funny now because it's kind of like dystopian and just weird and you read it and say, "Oh wow, that was written March of 2022. Little did we know." It was this alliance that was formed between the Big 10, the ACC, and the Pac-12. And now we know that the Big 10 in those conversation was a wolf in sheep's clothing and they were actually getting ready to take the biggest television market away from the Pac-12, put them in a precarious spot in which they still 
are working to find their way out of at this point in time. But I think when you look at the Pac-12 and the ACC, number one, there are similar visions on the academic and cultural front between the ACC and the Pac-12 between those two particular groups of presidents. So I don't think working together, especially given that, you know, previous alliance, which was meant to strengthen them all and have a scheduling partnership. And it was like, we're a bond, we're a team. And yeah, we're, we're together in the big tents. And I, I don't know, forget it. We're going to take your two schools and uh, jump ship. But that doesn't mean the Pac-12 and the UCLA in there. Whoops. That's called, a, I think it's called a Freudian slip. I don't know. Anyway, that doesn't mean the Pac-12 and the ACC I don't even know how I got that screwed up. Shouldn't be friends going forward. Because if you're the ACC or you're the Pac-12, let's assume that both conferences are going to be able to stay together as currently constructed and the Pac-12 expands in the way that I think that they will. If and when that happens, you are now looking as a conference to try and build the most compelling television product possible. And I think one of the ways that, and the Big 12 is a part of this too, that those three conferences can do that is to set up as many quality football games as possible. I'm not saying it's going to allow you to catch the Big 10 and the SEC, but when you have a Pac-12 team playing an ACC team, you're going to put that number one in a primetime window, given that it's either going to be played on the East Coast or played to an East Coast audience. Networks are going to have, I think, a great propensity to put those games in a good time slot and television ratings, as we all know, tend to help your conference far more than uh, they would hurt if they hurt at all. I, last time I checked, I don't think that they do. Hence why they're worth so much money, the media rights deals and why conferences care about them. So I think if you do that, you have a national audience paying attention to the game. But the other thing that we're, that we're seeing in the Big Ten, by the way, is that those teams are dominating in scheduling crappy non-conference opponents. Lo and behold, Michigan, the last couple of years, was supposed to play UCLA. And they said, eh, no thanks. We're good. We don't eh. We're going we're, we're gonna, to, you know, blow somebody out at the big house and whatnot, pay them a million dollars and whatnot and, and take the win. Yeah, we're, we're going to go do that. And Ohio State was going to play Washington in 2024. They're going to play Marshall instead. No disrespect to the thundering herd, but I don't think at their peak they can quite be what the Huskies have been in football when they're, when they're really, really good. Or just even in a down year. Like, really? Come on. So I think that that's an opportunity. It's like that scene in the big short and that you're too close is an opportunity for the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big 12 to step in and actually in good faith, unlike the previous merger or not merger, the under the unlike the previous um, uh, alignment, shall we say, or the partnership, whatever you want to call alliance is the word that they use. Unlike that actually work together to create the most compelling television content possible. Because what's one of the ways that, that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be you know, dwarfing the other conferences, right? Media rights. But also that stems from TV viewership. Well, if you have more games between quality Power 5 schools, I think that's, look, it's not, it's not going to be a cure-all for everything. But is it a step? Is it something I'd like to see 
all conferences do, frankly? Yes. Are the Big 12, Pac-12, and ACC a part of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think more so in the Big 10 and the SEC. Because if you want to be as relevant and as competitive as possible, you need your schools to have as many quality wins as possible. You need to have them playing as many quality games as possible against quality teams, right? Make it a compelling product that people want to watch. So I think that that partnership sort of phase. Now, a merger, you know, sounds good and fine and whatnot until you realize that 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 would be pushing the boundaries even by modern standards of coordinating the logistics. I mean, every single road matchup that you would have between an ACC team and a Pac-12 team, if you merge them together and you'd probably call it the, I don't know, United Coastal Conference or something like that, would be a cross-country trip all the time. I, I, I just don't see that, right? And I don't know that Pac-12 and ACC presidents would, would want to go for that, at least at this point in time. So I think there is a path to being viable if you're not in the Big Ten or the SEC. Is it harder? Yeah, of course it is. Like financially, competitively, it's harder. But if you want to have your teams as prepared as possible, play other good teams. If you want to have them as relevant and as discussed as possible, create good, interesting, compelling matchups. And I think that could be beneficial for everybody involved. I'd be down for it in football. I'd be down for it in basketball. You want to get the Big 12 involved? Hey, I'm, I'm here for that as well. It kind of feels like it's our three conferences against the Big Ten and the SEC now going forward. Going forward, we have uh, many other things to talk about as well, including a position that many of you are curious about that I hold. It's about a 12-team playoff. I don't like it. I'll tell you why, but I'm going to tell you first that built bars are delicious. I'm not blowing smoke here, right? I am not throwing out random realignment rumors when I say that built bars are the best tasting protein bars ever. I never ate protein bars until I started working for Locked On. They sent me built bars and now I eat them all the time. I buy them because they're delicious and amazing. They're healthy, taste amazing. They're covered in 100% real dark chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. They got a bunch of great flavors too. Mint brownie is my personal favorite. They've got churro, peanut butter, brownie, cookies, and cream. Only 130 calories, just 4 grams of sugar, a whopping 17 grams of protein. You can get specialty flavors at Built.com. You can also get your next order at Walmart or Sam's Club. So Walmart, Sam's Club, Built.com. Go get your next order of Built Bars. Get things like our hit flavors of brownie batter puff and churro puff. And when once you do so, eh, you know, you can thank me later. All right, now we've uh, rested the voice a bit. We've reset, and we're off and running. So this question from Dang Trojan, again, via the Twitter DMs. You can be a part of the mailbag really easy at smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12. You can also drop a comment in the YouTube section. Hmm, that was kind of right. You get it, YouTube comments. Dang Trojan asks, as an Oregon or from the standpoint of an Oregon fan, why don't you love the 12 team playoff format? Not only do I not love it, I despise it. It is repulsive to me. I don't I don't find you repulsive if you like a 12 team playoff. I just find the whole concept of it pretty disgusting. I truly believe Oregon will be the main beneficiary of the 12 team playoff, finishing 11 and 1 or 12 and 2 every year, locking in a top four seed. I gotta say, I like this guy's optimism about Oregon. <laughs> Suddenly they're going 11 and 1, 10 and 2 every year. Yippee Kaye. All right. Oregon has a joke of a non conference schedule and will only need to split. There's the USC fan in him. Will only need to split the Utah and Washington games. Meanwhile, USC could lose to Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa in a season. 
once they get to the Big Ten, that is. And talking heads like you and Josh Pate, who don't like the 12-team college football playoff, will say a team that has lost a third of its games shouldn't be in the playoff, ignoring the fact that USC would have more quality wins, Ohio State, Penn State, UCLA, even though my even though experiencing more losses. Thank you for reading my question. Okay, so yes, Josh Pate and I are completely aligned on uh, this on this front that is in opposition to the uh, the 12-team playoff. Another area in which Josh and I share an opinion, which there are several, I think he is a very, very smart and insightful guy, is you are definitely not what your record says you are. So a 9-3 and three team in the Big Ten or SEC could absolutely get into the playoff. And I will not, I will, I will, I will make this promise to you right now in May of 2023, I will not be the guy who refuses to say that there's a three loss team that should or could get in or have a higher seed than a two loss team. When the three loss team plays. Because there's no way to argue the fact that look, context matters for sure. But if you told me right now, let's say the PAC 12 at San Diego state and SMU in 2024, if somebody goes 10 and two in that schedule and, you know, loses the Pac-12 championship game, for instance, and they're 10 and three, and somebody goes nine and three in the SEC and their losses are to LSU, Bama and Georgia, but they've beaten, you know, a bunch of other good teams in there. I'm not going to look at that and automatically say, well, 10 and three should get in over nine and three. Absolutely, positively not. Context matters. Scheduling matters. And, and to me, the 12 team playoff is not the biggest issue in college football. It's scheduling. Scheduling is the most that there, there's too much power in individual schools, right? Ohio State had a home and home with Washington. They canceled. I hate that. I, I, I absolutely hate that. I think they have to pay Washington a little bit of money because but I but I don't know that for, for certain. But it's it's not enough, right? Like that that should not be allowed. You should not get to do that. I am uh staunchly opposed to that, but Getting back to the original question, like why do I not like the the twelve team the the twelve team format? Because the fundamental part, like it's me as a college football fan, not as an Oregon fan. Like, yeah, I see how Oregon could benefit because they have, you know, the sort of brand power where they might get more respect from the playoff committee than say, you know, a San Diego State trying to make a charge or Arizona State rebuilding or somebody like that. They might get benefit of the doubt sometimes because they're a pretty big TV draw, and you know, the college football playoff committee might might want to put them in to get more viewers for the game. I, I get that, but my opposition comes as a college football fan. The, the thing that has made college football so special and so unique and more fun even than the NFL, in my view, like every Saturday in the fall, I have to be in front of a television set almost the entire day. Like there are very few Saturdays where I feel like I can just, ah, you know, especially now that I'm hosting the show, of course, but even before, Right. I, I rarely played golf on a Saturday because like, well, it's college football and there's so many big games and a team could get eliminated from making the playoff or getting into the national championship in like week five or six in the NFL. You don't have that. You can't do that because in week five or six, you could be going three and two or three and three, and you could still end up winning the Super Bowl that year. But in college football, it's never been the case, right? College football hasn't had, you know, the NFL playoffs are what, like four weeks, month-ish, you know, a little over a month, whatever that timeline uh, is. I don't know it specifically. College football has always felt 
like a, a, a 13, 14 week playoff, right? It's a constant race. The amount of urgency that you have on a week to week basis is unlike any other sport in the world. There, there is truly nothing like it. Now, I'm not a big European soccer fan. Maybe it's the same, but they can tie over there. So give me a break. And the NFL having ties, again, just not a fan of that either. But getting back to the main point here, that is what has always made college football special and unique to me is that you don't have a big margin for error. And when you widen the playoff, you widen that margin for error. And there are people, and I don't think it's even going to be great for the Pac-12 either, right? Like the Pac-12 is in a tough spot no matter what in terms of getting to the playoff and building a national championship caliber team. But a 12-team playoff is not getting you closer to the Alabamas and Georgias of the world. It, it, it like I, I hate to break it to folks, but that is just not not happening. That is not going to happen. You are not going to suddenly have Pac-12 teams that in a 12-team playoff can compete with those schools that couldn't compete before. I, I don't foresee that as being a major advantage, right? You, you could maybe pick up a recruit or two, but like overall, that, that sort of stuff, building a program that gets to that level takes a long, long, long time. And the Pac-12 is also just disadvantaged in, in many ways geographically, right? Like we have California, but the SEC can recruit California. We don't have as big of a TV viewership base. So like it's just... There, there are a number of factors in that sense, and I think we all understand them fairly well, and they've played out over over quite a long time. But I, I understand, you know, as an Oregon fan, that they're going to have a very viable path to the playoff that doesn't have to include a Pac-12 championship. But I don't even like that the Pac-12 champion, you know, getting in every year essentially because a Power 5 conference champion is always going to be one of the six highest-rated conference champions. Like, that's... I, I can't remember a year in which they weren't one of the six highest rated, right? No matter uh, what season it was. I don't want to see a team like no disrespect to the Utes. A lot of people watch and listen to uh, the show are, are, are Utah fans. No, I live in the state of Utah. I love Utah. Like I, I, I love watching Utah play because they just show up and go to work. But the last couple of years, they shouldn't have been in the playoff trying to get to a national championship level. Because that they didn't have the sort of season that merits that sort of outcome, right? The standard is higher. You have much less margin for error compared to other sports. And that is what has always made it different and unique. And I don't like that, that they're taking that away under the guise of, you know, competitive balance or, or some such, right? It's just they're, they're going after more money. When is a decision? Like, that's fundamentally why the playoff is getting expanded, because conferences are going to be able to make more money. I'm not opposed to, you know, amping up the ramifications of these big time bowl games, but I would rather bowl games feel like they did back in 2005. I remember when Oregon won the Holiday Bowl. It was an awesome day. I remember Oregon won the Holiday Bowl this year against North Carolina. It was a fun day. It was not the same. And and that's something that I that I truly lament that has changed in the sport is, you know, opt outs and everything. So I don't deny that there are positive ramifications that can come from that expanded playoff. But what I you know, I'm going to lament losing and we have just one more year of in the 14 format is the same level of urgency that currently exists. It is going to go away and you, you cannot argue that point because Alabama losing. Great example. Alabama losing used to be like a big deal was this year is every year. National story. Bama lost. Who'd they lose to? Are they going to get into the playoff? 
Now when Alabama loses, who cares? They're getting into the playoff anyway, right? Like that's what that's what makes, you know, matchups and rivalries different in college sports as well. Bama plays Auburn once a year. And Auburn could be in a position to knock Bama out of the playoff conversation or go to any number of rivalries in college football in which this is the case. I just happened to pick, you know, the best dynasty that that the sport has ever seen. But in the NFL, when you have big-time rivalry matchups like the Steelers and the Ravens, that's not must-see TV for me. They're going to play another time that season, first of all. And second of all, the likelihood that the winner or loser there is you know, into the playoffs or out of the playoff conversation, it doesn't happen very often. It happens in college football every single year. So th- that's why I feel the way that, that I do about it. But I promise you, dang Trojan, I most definitely will not come on here and without any sort of justification or analysis say, well, a Pac-12 team is 10 and 2 and a Big 12 team is 9 and 3, so the Pac-12 team should get in. Absolutely, positively not. As Josh Pate says, you are not where your record says you are. I think he's fully correct on uh, that particular front. All right, next question. Uh, let me answer a quick one before I close with uh, an interesting one. This one came from Mark. Pac-12 question. What can the conference do to improve the referees? <laughs> as it seems to be a consensus consensus that they are not as good as others. It, it is worth noting that other conferences hate their referees too, but I as a Pac-12 fan, you know, watch other conferences more than fans of other conferences. I think watch the Pac-12 for a variety of reasons that, you know, I could talk about for 30 minutes here on the show and have in some form or fashion over the last several months. But when I watch other games, I think they are better officiated than Pac-12 games. Now, that is not to say that other referees are perfect. You're never going to have perfect officials. It's not going to happen. But the thing that the the Pac-12 officials, I would like to see them correct, is stop making these ginormous blunders, right? Take USC last year against Arizona coming down at the end of the half, the mismanagement of the clock where there's three seconds, they're trying to spike it, and they'd gotten a first down, and the official goes out, he decides to re-spot the ball, the clock winds, and then the clock runs out, USC can't spike the ball, kick a field goal. Okay, that's the sort of stuff, or Oregon-Washington State a year ago, where the punt happens, and then they had the downs wrong, and they replayed it. Like, that's the sort of stuff that just drives me insane. Like, you, you cannot... Just get the get the big obvious stuff right. There are 50-50 calls that I watch and, and will give officials respect for on I see how you could call it either way, right? That that more casual fans will get frustrated at. I I broadcast division one sports. I see a lot of calls. I talk to a lot of officials. A lot of the stuff is really, really difficult. But that's the stuff I'd wish to, I'd wish they could improve upon. And look, George Klyovkov, to his credit last year directly call out officials when they got things wrong. In both of those instances, I remember him making a public statement. Yeah, that's not okay. We can't have that. We cannot have that in our conference. It's bad for fans. It's bad for players, coaches, image of the league, everything, right? It's all wrong. In terms of what they can do, they have to train them better. Like they have to be more accountable. And I've always had a beef that officials don't, you know, face as much public accountability, right? Everybody else has to, but they don't have to. I, I don't love that. I don't know that that's necessarily the solution, but it is pretty simple in terms of how they can be better, which is they have to 
hold them to a higher standard. They have to train them better and they might need to just get new officials. And look, in today's climate, it's not very fun to be a ref. It might not be, but the good ones that are out there, we don't hear from them as often. That's what you want to be like red pen on a test. When you need to be there, you should be there and people should be aware of it. But when you don't need to be there, don't just scribble red pen in the top of the corner because then it draws the student's eye to the test when you don't need to. And they didn't actually do anything wrong when they think they might have. So that's my little spiel on uh, officiating here. Okay, this question from Zach Donner. Washington State's over-under is six and a half wins. Do you think Cam Ward and that offense could take a jump? They miss USC and uh, do get to play Wisconsin in Pullman. Yeah, so Washington State, I talked about it when I was reacting to the initial over-under win totals on, on Friday show. They are the biggest like, like their line is so appropriately set. I mean, it's perfect. Like it's where I would set it. And I looked at it and I said, I'm not an odds maker or anything, but that's right where I'd have it. And I was like, I wouldn't touch it. Would not touch it with a 10 foot pole because I could very easily see Washington state being a seven, eight win team this year. I could see him being a five, six win team this year. And I think all that's very reasonable. And I think it'll come down to one or two close games. Washington state was a solid team a year ago. And Cam Ward was a solid quarterback. Whether or not the Cougars go over and under might very well come down to whether or not Cam Ward makes a step. Does he take away the mistakes? Does he hit all the simple throws? Does he make all the spectacular plays? If he and new offensive coordinator Ben Arbuckle comes over from Western Kentucky where they had a wildly productive offense and he was the co-OC and quarterbacks coach, if they click, I trust Jake Dickert to build a defense, right? Ron Stone Jr. is still there. Dane Henley is not uh, defensively for the Cougs, but their stud linebacker went to the NFL. But I trust Jake Dickert to be able to put together a good defense over there. Like he's done that each of the last couple seasons. So when I think about what Washington State needs to go over, I think it's Cam Ward being the best version of Cam Ward, not having the down games, not making the bad interceptions, you know, those are the sorts of things. And obviously he's got to, you know, vibe with his new offensive coordinator after his head coach went to be, uh, or his OC went to be the head coach at North Texas, Eric Morris. If that happens, I would tend to lean Washington state is going over, but we are going to know very quickly because what Wisconsin was a solid team a year ago, Wisconsin lost to Washington state in Madison. They are going to come in probably a top 25 team with Luke fickle, solid amount of hype. They're going to come into Pullman. That's the biggest opponent Washington State's had in there in decades. I, I, I believe the, the stat is, I forgot to look it up before the show because I didn't frankly know I was going to mention this and whatnot, but I don't think since the 90s has a ranked Power 5 opponent come into Martin Stadium before in the non-conference slate for Washington State. That's a big, big deal that they got that home and home. It's a credit to what Mike Leach did for a long time. It's a credit to what Dickert's done the last couple of years. He doesn't you know, choose that schedule and whatnot, but... I, I think that their profile is elevated dramatically. I mean, 2010, Wisconsin was not going to go to Pullman to play a football game like that. They would not have seen that as being worth their time. But now they see it as someone who they can pick up a quality victory against, which it can be. And Washington State, I think their ceiling is nine wins. Like, I think that's their absolute upper max this year. But yeah, I could see them going over six and a half. I would lean over six and a half instead of under. But again, I'd stay away from it because it's all about Cam Ward's development and how he blends with the new offensive coordinator. Great question, though. Keep them coming. Again, smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12 on Twitter. You can also drop one in the YouTube comments. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. And until then, have a wonderful rest of your day.